welcome to the Peripheral Views podcast, everybody. Uh, Happy New Year to all of our loyal listeners. Uh, We're talking 2011 The Gray tonight. Um, I'm your host, Jake. Errol is with me once again. Errol, what's going on tonight, my friend? Hello, hello. Ready to uh, bring in the new year. Yes, Happy New Year to everybody. Hope everyone had a safe and enjoyable holiday. Uh, this is the first pod we're going to do uh, in 2024. We're kicking the year off uh, with a bang, too, and we're returning back to the film series. This will be our uh, our eighth installment of that series. Uh, we'll probably cool the jets on the film series for a couple of episodes forthcoming. Um, but tonight we're talking about the gray. We're talking about 2011 slash 2012, depending on how we've been having some dispute on on the actual released year because it was kind of in that transition zone. But um, one, either way, regardless, we're talking. You about, couldn't watch until 2012, so not in the U.S. at least, right? Yeah, it had an international release of 2011 December ish, but really kind of pumped its way out into the into our neck of the woods in 2012. Um, a great film and a lot of lot more to talk about than you would expect from a survivalist thriller uh, starring Liam Neeson. So uh, we're going to unpack uh, that before, thing. before we get too much even into it, I would, it's, it's technically got every single conflict narrative I can oh, think yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah. Like all it's the got, literary conflicts. Yeah. It's yeah, got man versus man, man versus nature, sure. man versus self, man versus society and man versus God. Yes. That's I mean, everything. Yeah. It's literally covers every single one of the, it's so funny because my, my wife, uh, for the listeners uh, who are unaware, my wife is a, is an English teacher. And, uh, this, this, this was, this was, uh, very much on the forefront of our minds watching the film, because this is a big part of the big part of the film and a big part of how the film's constructed. And, um, but before we dive into all those dirty details, let's do um, let's do a little recap. Errol, we, what did we talk about in the last episode? It got a lot of traction on YouTube, a lot more than we're accustomed to. Bunch, yeah. yeah Thanks, we, guys. Yeah, if thank- anyone else is listening from that, then um, yeah, that was cool. That was yeah. neat. Yeah, Wolf it of Wall Street. It's still going. Wolf, who would have thought Wolf of Wall Street? Um, I mean, it's a very popular film. We've talked about a lot of popular films, though, or a couple of them at least. You know, between uh, The Thing has a pretty good following. The Shining's a pretty big film. Um, I mean, we've talked about some some great films. Some a little. You know what? Under the I radar, hate to. But... Now that I think about it, I hate to admit it, but it's probably because like all like the Andrew Tate likes. And they're like, oh, oh yeah, Wolf of Wall Street. They're talking about. Oh no, Stellan stuff. Bro, like they're waiting for us to be, they're waiting for us to be like, yo, here's here's how I sell you this pen. Oh, yeah. And also, <laughs> yeah. like I said before, the answer to that, like sell me this pen is is no. <laughs> is thank you for the pen. And if they like, no, really give me my pen back, then it's that will be yeah. three dollars. I really I, I genuinely hope that that's not the reality. But I mean, I'm so, I'll take any listenership we could give. But like, you know, I mean, there's a demo that's like <laughs> there's a demo I don't, I don't think they'll fun. like us too much because we're not going to. We're no. not going to sugarcoat it. We're not going to be like you can be great if you just pay us money because it's just not. Gonna oh, be I'm just. Case. I will just pay absolutely no, no uh, due diligence to like the fraudulency that goes on from from that individual in the world. Um, I mean, the very obvious too. I mean, just another figure. I think we've talked about this before. Like a a Colby Covington type figure, where like I just don't understand how you how like followers can be so like can be so naive. Like, I don't, under, I don't like, I get it. I get the shtick, but I don't understand how people are buying the shtick. Right. Like, like really buying. buying into it. Yeah. Like if you like, it's one thing to be a mark to intentionally be a mark, but like, it's another thing to like unintentionally be a mark. Like, I don't, I don't know how we're not tapping into like the, 
uh, the phoniness here. Anyways, well, we, we won't get into the the Andrew Tate stuff in the world because uh, how did not, well then how is he rich? Um, because you guys are giving him money. Yeah, I mean, well, there's anybody like that's what he does. Bad, he gets bad people it. get rich, and and fake people get rich, and like people with like very stupid messaging put out that we're getting into the weeds. So let's not even. This is not what the Peripheral Views podcast is about. We're talking film tonight. We're talking the gray. Um, but I was really um, Errol. The Wolf of Wall Street episode was a uh, joy to talk about. Um, I don't think. I mean, we missed a lot, obviously, because it's it's oh, a yeah. big film, and it's a it's one of those films that's kind of like packed to the to the brim with many different artistic choices and some a lot of blended topics and genres and art, you know, all this stuff. It's a very, very full film. And like a bunch of like, uh, there's a lot of stuff like on set too. Like, I think we like touched on it, but like, yeah, there's the people are getting addicted to the lactose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. We did touch on a lot of that stuff, but um, yeah, like I will, I will admit this, that I don't think that we covered it in full with, but not to say that that was actually our intention in the first place, but um, I thought we did a pretty good job covering like uh, the, base, the baseline. And um, you know, like I said, I there could always, we've always said this and we said this at the end of the podcast, there's always room for a part two. Oh yeah. Um, I think it's um, a really good episode, especially for uh, how, um, how much views it got. I'm, I'm, I'm not. If that like happened with the Lupe episode, I'd be like, guys, play, wait, wait for next week. We'll figure it out. <laughs> I just need time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one of those. Uh, it's one of those pleasant surprises. Um, we really appreciate all the listenership and any new followers. If you guys are new to the Peripheral Views podcast, um, please feel free to go back into our catalog. We've we've got uh, now. This will be our eighth film. We've got four different music based episodes that are kind of centered around. Um, specific records we've got a history um, entry in there we've got some biographies and then we've got stuff that's just totally off the cuff i mean we've we've done stuff uh just specific topics uh, like cultural um hypersexualization was a good episode that was not didn't really fall into one of our series but was something we wanted to kind of unpack and do a little research on and, and talk through a little bit um so there's a lot to lot to listen we're pretty diversified library. So all of our new listeners um, who are joining us on this episode, feel free to go back and take a look at some of the uh, previous stuff we've got out there in the, uh, in the internet ether. Yeah. Um, And any uh, questions or concerns about them? um, Yeah. We'll, we'll go over that. We're not, we're not shy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, we love feedback and we're glad to interact. The more listeners we get, the more we'll more interacting we'll probably do with the, uh, with the listenership. So, uh, maybe do some polls or some Q&A stuff um, as we start to get a little bit more of a following. So just hang in with us as we continue our development through 2024. It's new year um, and the podcast has uh, we've got goals. We've got some objectives. We're going to try to try to tick along the way. Um, <clears throat> that being said, I think that's a good recap for what we've got on the uh, docket. I did want to touch upon before we dive into like the films of the year um, that the gray came out. I wanted to, uh, Quick shout out to uh, a quick RIP to uh, the actor Tom Wilkinson. Um, had had to say something just in relation to Tom Wilkinson. Tom Wilkinson is a, I should say, was um, unfortunately passed away just a few days ago, the day a couple days before New Year's. Um, an iconic actor, one of, one of my favorite um, kind of character actors in the world. Um, and a few of his performances are genuinely a few of my some of my favorite acting performances. Um, Tom Wilkinson, he's, he had some, 
great success in a couple of films such as uh, The Full Monty, which I haven't seen, but I, I've heard he's pretty good in that. I mean, he's, he was nominated for many awards. Um, in the Bedroom was another one that was like an accoladed a performance. But I did want to mention um, one of my all-time favorite performances in any film and definitely one of my favorite films ever. Hopefully we get to talk about it on the podcast at some point down the road. Um, and that's Michael Clayton from 2007. Uh, this dude put on one of the unbelievable um one of my all-time favorite like supporting performances in any film in that movie um Errol have you seen Michael Clayton by chance I have not I have not yeah I mean we've talked about doing like a 2007 in film centered uh episode here some some point down the road in maybe the next few months and that'll definitely be one that hits the radar um you'll have to get your eyes on and Tom Wilkinson um, a, a storied actor with like an incredible career in a wonderful library. Um, unfortunately passed away just a matter of days ago at age 75. So I did want to make a quick shout out to him. Um, he's also in eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Um, he was in Batman begins. I believe he was uh, Falcone or Falcone. Wait, no, I'm sorry. Um, what was his character's name? Another Liam Neeson film, by the way, Carmine Falcone. Yes. He was the, the mob, the mafia boss in uh, Batman Begins. So like he definitely had some mm-hmm. mainstream roles, but what a, a, an unbelievable character actor and supporting actor who uh, contributed greatly to the world of film. Just wanted to make a quick shout out to him and in, in his career after his uh, unfortunate passing. So that being said, um, Errol, what do you think? Let's dive into. Uh, so the film, like we said, um, the film came out in 2012 uh, in the U S um, and we kind of planned to do the, the year 2011 for films um, kind of just until two seconds ago until literally about eight seconds before the podcast began recording. So we're going to make a quick audible and a quick pivot. No problem though. I, I mean, we can pull up a library of films from that, from that time frame pretty quick. Anything um, that sticks out in your head, like right off cuff 2012. Yeah. Or 2011, 2012. Uh, yeah, pretty quickly before, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind and I'm looking at a a library of films, but the first thing that when you, when you say 2012 for me in film, it's actually not on this list, but there's only one film that comes to mind for me in 2012 and that's the master. Oh, Um, okay. Yeah. The master, the master came out in 2012. I saw, I got to catch an early screening, um, in Albany, New York. I just, uh, I just moved, moved to college. Um, moved into my dorm in like a month or maybe not even a full month, uh, a handful of weeks after I moved in. I I happened to see that a, a early screening was going on for the master. And this was Paul Thomas Anderson's first film since There Will Be Blood came out. And I was like, okay, like There Will Be Blood. Whoa, holy shit. Um, uh, this dude is like next level. He's really taking it up a notch. I can't wait to see what he does next. I had been anticipating the film and I was like, as soon as I saw that I had a chance to see it, I, I, I immediately struck and uh, it did not disappoint. It is a masterpiece <laughs> and surprisingly uh, and very disappointingly, it did not really get the reception it probably deserved that year. Um, what about for you, Errol? Um, I'd have to say off top, it'd have to be like Dark Knight Rises. Oh, right. Yes. This is, we saw that together. Me, you and, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Morrison saw that in theaters together. Oh, yeah. And we also, all three of us also saw, uh, Django in theaters together. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, not a terrible movie year. I mean, when it was no. good, it was good. I liked, um, I liked Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man too. Yeah. You know, he was a really good Spider-Man. I thought he really was. And yeah. I, I really, you know what I thought that they did the best in Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man that they don't do in a lot of the other ones? Like What's that? He he moved like a spider. 
Yeah, he's kind of lanky and like kind of yeah. yeah I, I can like see he that. was like 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 crawling over people and like wrapping them up and like he had the most dynamic like web swinging. Like mm-hmm. he would like do like crazy shit. Like you could, it's almost like he he was like his character was like more acrobatic and they kind of play on that a little bit in the new um uh like what is it like away from home or whatever. Oh right, yeah. I haven't seen anything new, but like I do recall. I, I think like I only it. saw the first one Garfield was in, not the second, but. Um, I like I like the the new one where it has uh, all of them. It has uh, Garfield and it also has Toby. Oh, oh, they got them both in there. Yeah, it's like all the Spider Men. Anything else that stuck out that year? I mean, it, it's not now that uh, I'm kind of sifting through. I'm actually seeing a little bit more than I had recalled. I mean, you got Prometheus came out this year. That was I didn't I didn't actually see that by the way. I just I just know that that was like very acclaimed. I would say um, other other movie that's like up there. I'd say like. Perks of being a wallflower is really good. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. That, that's also one I have not seen, but was like pretty pretty well received. Uh, Lincoln, uh, Daniel Day Lewis as uh, Abraham Lincoln. That's a you know, I know a lot of people weren't. They maybe they got their um, expectations a little too high and maybe were let down by. It. I know that movie does not get quite the praise that I think it probably deserves. I think it's great. <laughs> have you seen Lincoln? No. Yeah, it's really good. Um, another one of uh, my personal favorite Wes Anderson movie came out this year. My, of all the Wes Anderson movies, uh, which I do like pretty much all of them, um, my personal favorite, Moonrise Kingdom, came out this year. Um, okay. Excellent, excellent film. Um, Argo was your best picture winner. Um, did you see Argo? Argo's pretty good. I've not. I've not. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's it's Ben Affleck just kind of just pulling out all the stops and going for it, and you know making a two hour extremely exciting political action drama slash somewhat funny, pretty pretty action packed fun movie. Um, it's actually yeah, really good. Magic Mike lost. Magic Mike <laughs> was it nominated? I, I don't know. Probably Skyfall. Oh, I, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Yo, you know, you know all the deeds. <laughs> Skyfall um, came out then. Yeah, Skyfall was this year. Um, Skyfall was hot. Life of Pi was a pretty big hit. That was a not a bad. That's a pretty good movie. I don't mind that. I, I thought it was pretty good. End of Watch was sick. End of Watch was very good with Jalen Hall and uh, Michael Pena. Mm-hmm. That one, that one bangs. Twenty One Jump Street came out that year as well as. Uh... Hunger Games. I felt like it'd be disingenuous not to mention. Yeah, that. you kind of mentioned the Hunger Games. That what a monster, monster success that was. Les Mis was this year as well. Man, Les Mis is every couple years. Yeah, they always got some rendition of that going on. I will say there's one film from this uh, year that I have not. Well, I'll say there's two films that I have not seen that I, I truly. They they made their way to like my watch list anyways. Like regardless that we're kind of just talking about this year in film. Um, they, they were they were kind of on my tick list to begin with, which is uh, killing them softly uh, with with Brad Pitt. Um, it's supposed to be pretty pretty great. I believe the director of Killing Them Softly is this was uh, the follow up of uh, yeah this is uh, Andrew Dominic. Andrew Dominic is. Uh, this was the follow-up film he made after making the assassination of Jesse James by the coward, Robert Ford, which is one of my all-time favorite films. And uh, I would assume that that's probably the case for most people who like film. That movie is just absolutely stunning. Um, but uh, yeah, killing them softly has been on my watch list. And the other one that I do need to see is uh, it's the only Martin McDonough film I've never seen, which is seven psychopaths. 
Um, okay. Yeah, Seven Psychopaths is is supposed to be pretty pretty great. I think it's like the least well received of the McDonough films, and he's only made a few. But uh, McDonough, you know McDonough Errol, he's the guy who did uh, Banshees of uh, Inisherin. Mm. Uh, did that? He did In Bruges, Three Billboards, and then uh, this movie. So I think there's only four he's made. This is the only one I haven't seen, but it's got a very good. It's got a pretty good reception, and I'm like super into like pretty much anything McDonough's doing these days. I mean that guy's just like he's money in the bank basically every time. Yeah, so I had a really fun time with uh with Banshees. So I believe Yeah, I'd love to talk Banshees on the pod at some point down the road. That's a uh that was a, a genuine masterpiece of, of, of the last couple of years. One of my favorite films in the last you know few years. It made me feel stuff that I haven't like felt before. Like it brought like because I th- the, the premise is so like you're like what the heck is this dude's problem you're like wait a minute yeah mcdonough does that man his movies are always like that. like if you i've been trying to push you on uh in bruges to get your eyes on in bruges because uh in bruges has just got you're gonna watch that and just truly love it um Cause it's, it's like, it's, it's so dark and so well-written and it's written like a play. Cause McDonough is a playwright um, first and foremost before making films. Um, but it's just, it's so dark and so funny. Um, I won't spoil anything, but there's a scene where ugh, no, I can't, I can't even say it without kind yeah, of spoiling. Like, sounds like a spoiler. Yeah. It's It would be, a I'll just try to watch it sooner. Than no, later. please do. Please do. I'm, I'm desperate for you. There's something I'll, I'll just put it to you this way. There's like a, um, there's a scene that involves um, I can't, I just, there's no way for me to, there's no way for me to frame it without like kind of giving something away. It, just trust me. It gets so dark and you wind up laughing at shit. That's so dark that somehow, I mean, it's just a masterpiece. Um, you, you will, you will laugh and you will also feel some stuff. Cause it's very, it's a very emotional film, but there he, he's basically hit it out of the park every time. So I hope we talk some Martin McDonough at some point down the road, but oh, for sure. That being said, I think that's probably about enough for uh, 2012 in film. Um, Errol, are we ready to move into the film of the day? Yeah, we're going to uh, try to recapture that lightning in a bottle with Mm. Wolf of Wall Street and switch it over to uh, the gray. This also has wolves. So, like, yeah, we're staying on task. We're staying with the wolves. This time we're going to remote Alaska and uh, we're going to take a short break. But when we get back, we're talking 2011 slash 12. Joe Carnahan's The Gray.
Okay, Errol. 2012. I'm calling it 2012. Let's just go 2012. <laughs> this is Joe Carnahan's The Gray. Um, this movie came out uh, in 2011 slash 2012. At the end of 2011, beginning of 2012. Directed and written by Joe Carnahan. It is based on the uh, the short story, I guess you could call it, uh, Ghost Walker by Ian McKenzie Jeffers. Um, a lot of production assistance here with uh, Jules Daly, Joe Carnahan himself um, producing, Mickey Lydell, and both the Scott brothers. So this is you could kind of see this in the film. I don't want to I don't want to linger on this too long, but Ridley and Tony Scott both involved in the in financing and production of the film, which is um, I think that seeps through um, in the final product. Um, starring Liam Neeson, uh, Frank Grillo, Dermot Moroni, uh, Dallas Roberts, Joe Anderson, Nanzo Enozi, James Badgedale. Um, these are your basically the the single characters in the film. The, each one represents some things, and we'll get into some of that. Cinematography done by Masanobu Takianagi, um, who is uh, he's done some great stuff, and uh, he hasn't quite worked as much as of late, but, uh, he, his, some of his films have been, he's done some fantastic cinematography work. Um, I don't think he's quite done anything quite as good as this though. Um, he did spotlight black mass, uh, hostels, which is probably second to this in terms of cinematography achievement. Um, and then he did pale blue eye, which was, uh, that came out just last year with Christian Bale. Um, but I think the cinematography, cinematography in this film and the uh, photography really second to none, um, edited by Roger Barton, music by Mark Streitenfeld, um, distributed by Open Roads Films in the U.S., entertainment film distributors in the U.K., and Inferno Distribution internationally. Came in at 117 minutes, uh, distributed in the U.S., in the U.K., in the English language, budget of $25 million, pulled in a solid a little over $56 million in profits, 81.2 overall out of the box office. So uh, profitable film, film made money, and uh, <laughs> and it's a great film. Errol, kick us off. What's this film all about? <clears throat> yeah, it's all about uh, man's uh, man's struggle with survival, just like uh, having a uh, struggling with like a reason to live. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's just, <clears throat> it's just very, uh, very much like uh, walking the line of life and death and like what it means to live, what it means to die. Yeah. Yeah. It's about, uh, I think, I think it's, a, I mean, the, the philosophy goes very deep. There's obviously some, some theology in there. There's a lot of Christianity uh, imagery throughout the film um, kind of poking around on the outskirts, sometimes very central in some of the shots. Um, but uh, Liam Neeson playing John Otway, um, a suicidal sharpshooter who's hired to basically he's, he's hired to shoot to fend off gray wolves um, from there, you know, on a remote Alaskan oil facility. He's, he's basically, he's there only on behalf of fending off these, these gray wolves from attacking the oil workers um, on site. Um, unfortunately, the film kind of opens in this very dark and um, solemn moment where uh, his character, John Otway is basically basically expressing the suicidality. I mean, he's writing a suicide note to his, his wife, um, who, you, you know, and diving into the podcast, you should expect spoilers. This is what we're, this is what we're doing here. Um, come to find out later in the film that his wife had uh, been deceased. She had died of an illness. Um, and so I really like the lead up to that scene because like right in the beginning, it starts off in nature 
and then it shifts into like the industrial, like a man made, and like they both just still look cold. Yeah, beautiful um, contrast though. I, I know what you mean. Right. The one it looks beautiful, and one looks like kind of ugly, and it's the man made that's that looks kind of like dirty and and like kind of like out of place almost. Right. And um, like when he goes to the bar before he walks off, he's like, "This is just a place full of bad men." And like that bar is just a um, it's lit up uh by a by a neon cross. I saw that. Yeah, I'm so glad you caught that too. Yeah, it's literally he walks, and you only see it for a quick moment when he's like kind of it's in the shot, but then he kind of he's kind of blocking it, and then when he walks away, boom, it's right there. Yeah, and like there's just something that didn't sit well with me with that like neon cross. Like it seems like you know like um like a man made. Like it's not like yeah, natural. It's like it's like a commodifying or like it making it like artifice. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It it, it seemed because of like the very um, unnatural color of like a neon. Um, a neon cross or neon lighting it really it really sticks out and it doesn't have any reason to be there um it, it really kind of just represents a sign um and, and it's it's just symbolism i think that's just kind of strewn out throughout the film and um it did seem a little bit shoehorned in there if i can be honest um well that's what i think is done on purpose it's like almost like commodified religion yeah that's that's kind of what i mean though when i say shoehorn i I feel like um it was a little too on the nose for me um that specific piece of symbolism there are there are much more like beautiful ways that like god and religion are kind of strewn out in the film um so let's dive in i mean yes you're right the 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 bar is an ugly scene full of ugly men acting ugly like that's that's what's going on here and he's um there's this beautiful nature outside and that's where the wolves roam but there are wolves in this bar and they're acting like wolves and they're acting you know they're acting violent there's a bar fight that breaks out and he he storms out um ready to end it all and he puts a rifle in his mouth and then it kind of contrasts it does like a split not a split screen but like a a a back and forth cut to him saving a couple of oil workers from a wolf attack shooting a wolf and then approaching the wolf as the wolf is dying and this is kind of one's at one's at day and one's at night right like the suicide is at night while he's alone out in the yard um and outside of the bar and then the others at day um, kind of in the seemingly in the morning and he's kind of resting his hand and guiding the wolf in into death. And yet in, and in the, in the suicide scene, he's really just kind of gnashing his teeth along the barrel of his, of his sniper rifle, getting ready mm-hmm. to commit suicide. And sure, sure as sure as it comes, he kind of guides in the day, it cuts to the, him holding the chest of the wolf as it's slowly, his breathing begins to stop. And then it cuts back to his where he's about to pull the trigger. And sure enough, just as he's about to, the howl of a, of a pack of wolves from the distance um, shoots into the air and almost calls for him to continue the fight. Happens right after he says his dad's, uh, his dad's poem. Yes. Yep. And and let's recite, Errol, why don't you recite that poem for us? It's, uh, he goes, once more into the fray, into the last good fight I'll ever know. Live on this day, die on this day. Or sorry, live and die on this day. Live and die on this day. Yeah. And it's, it's, and he, 
he mentions later in the film that that well there's two things he mentions later in the film that like his that he came to realize he saw that poem in his um hanging on the wall and then he realized that, that his dad was kind of a hard guy and um and then he realized that like he you know he says that, like yeah he thought he was a a, a drinker and a brawler um but he he the poetry rounded him out rounded him out made him like kind of soft and um <laughs> i realized that i thought it was so like kind of like uh a little also a little on the nose but hey, whatever it worked for me 100 percent. is that the the poem hung in his father's den as he puts it oh. and uh right and he recites and at the end of the film he recites this poem again as he realizes that he is actually he is guy he has found himself in the center of the wolf's den and he recites this poem and it all comes full circle quite literally um because he discovered that poem in his father's den. Now he's found himself in the wolves. den. Um, we'll get to that point, point in the film as we kind of work through it, but um, let's talk Liam Neeson. I mean, what do you think about the casting of Liam Neeson? There is some side notes about um, his personal life going on outside of the production of this film. Um, pretty, pretty, her, pretty horrific stuff. His, his wife, Natasha Richardson, had uh, unfortunately passed away. She she was a, an actress too, she not an unknown person. Um, she had passed away at age forty five from a tragic uh, head injury, um, well, uh, literally a year before they started the production on this film. Mm. Uh, and uh, and obviously that hit them. The role being that his wife dies in the story of the film and the plot of the film. Um. I don't I'm just I was kind of appalled to learn how close together the death of his real wife and then him actually taking this role were. I mean, this is one of the first films he made after that tragedy happened. Um <clears throat> and uh the the director actually must have had a good relationship with him because he did he actually urged Liam Neeson to quote channel his grief um in the film when when writing the letter, when he like writes the letter and he's crying. Mm-hmm. Um, which is like, boy, you better have some trust in, there must be a good established trust between the two to like tweet that or to uh, kind of reach out to him to have him like, I don't know. I don't know how you ask a man to pull that. Right. Yeah. I know you're really sad. Performatively. Can you, yeah. Can you use that? Yeah. I don't know. There must, they must've had a close relationship. I, I, I don't want to speak too harshly on it. I know that it probably would be a line I wouldn't cross as a director, but I'm not a director. So I don't know. Maybe they have, maybe they have a, a code of some kind. Um, but I will say, what did you think about the performance overall from Liam Neeson? Oh my God. It's like, I think it's one of his best. Me too. Just yeah. because it's one of the uh, movies that really does like, like highlight him. Yeah. And it, it really kind of focused in this film. This is a very physical film in like a, a very literal way, like literarily and also like um, visually, it's a very physical film. And boy, does this movie really take advantage of the very unique look that Liam Neeson has? I mean, first of all, the man embodies what a human being that the, a human being that most looks like a wolf is <laughs> Liam Neeson. Just like a haggard man. Yeah. I mean, well, just like the shape of his nose and his sunken eye sockets. Like there's, he, he's a wolf. There's, there's a, there's a scene at the end, like where he's, I think it is like the last scene where he's sitting there. And it's and zooming like, in on his at, eyes. Yeah. And he's looking down the wolf and it says like alpha growling. I'm like, that's Liam Neeson growling. Right now. <laughs> 
I'm like, that's what it says in the in the closed captions. I yeah, see I saw it. that. Like too. he's he's like snarling too. Like he's like he uh-huh. like I, that's a good uh that's an apt call. Like he is kind of wolf like. Not only that, but also like he takes the tape and he like wraps the knife around his hand and he takes those little cocktail bottles and he breaks them off the. Him. Bro, he's fucking Wolverine. Right, he's got he's got claws. He literally makes himself into Wolverine. Boy, that would have been a really cool if they used this movie as like an origin story for Logan. <laughs> Something like he got bit <laughs> by wolves. <laughs> well, that's it, you know, he'd have to be attacked by like Wolverines. Yeah, I guess so. I know there's a difference in the animals, but like, well, yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah, I, it's I close. That much. They're cousins, right? They're like cousins of the animal world. But uh, um, no, I agree. I think it's actually one of his. Uh, I think it was one of his better performances. He has a couple of moments where he's doing action action movie Liam Neeson, which is fine. Um, I, I largely think that it's. Uh, I think the one thing that I definitely kept saying. Um, I wanted to read this off. Uh, this is via Wikipedia. Um, quote promotion for the gray in part targeted Christian groups by issuing a film companion, which highlighted the spiritual value of the film. Marketing also. Um, partnered with the weather network to highlight the hazardous filming conditions, open road films, incorporated comments uh, tweeted by film critics to promote the film in the third trailer for the gray. This was the first time tweets from and Twitter handlers or and Twitter, Twitter handles for professional critics had been used in a film's trailer. So that's an interesting, like kind of a barrier broken down by this film. Um, but I wanted to say about the marketing of the film. So I wanted to like kind of usher that into the conversation about the marketing of the film. I think this film was let down very intensely by um, both the marketing, both the three things at once, the trifecta of failed promotion, which is the trailer, um, the marketing plan for the film um, and the marketing timing, I suppose. And the, uh, and most importantly, the poster. Now, I love the poster. I think the poster's badass. I think it's sick because Liam Neeson's face is fantastic. Like, his, like I said, he, he looks like a wolf, and the snow and the cold. You can look, he looks cold and he's beat up, and he's just he's the man. He's a badass, and, and this dude embodies action. But I think this movie got sold to the public as being like another like installment of the actions of like an action movie with Liam Neeson, like kind of like another taken, like taken, but in Alaska. And that's just not what this movie is. Mm -mm. This is not that this is a very deep and kind of important film for the 21st century. Um, It's very, uh, it's technical. It's gritty. And it's kind of, it kind of looks low budget. Um, it's it's definitely not. I mean, it, they spent twenty five million, so it's not super low budget, but it's not. It's also not an exorbitantly expensive film to make. Um, I don't know. I just I felt like not that it didn't perform well at the box office. I thought it did pretty well, but I just mean in a it got it actually got pretty good critical reception too. But I just think when you look at the film and like the way it was kind of presented to the world, especially domestically, um, maybe it's just a a product of like you know the timing having just come out after. Liam Neeson kind of ushered himself into this um, action role, and it and this is an action movie, but it's it's just so much more than that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to say uh, the name uh, Otway means uh, means lucky in war in uh, in Teutonic. Ah, uh, yeah. No, I did. I read something about that um, in the forums about you know, Crusader times. 
Yeah, yeah, like nothing is on accident in this film, right? Uh, and also, uh, uh, Otway sounds like Alway, which is the uh, it's um, what is it, Roman, I believe, and it's uh, that means uh, be well or hail. Oh, okay, but that's yeah. probably a stretch. Yeah, I mean, it could be. I mean, just because it kind of it only sounds like it. I think there's like a there's another translation for Otway too that I saw in somewhere in the forums. I wish I had it here in my notes, but I don't. This is the one thing I didn't have. Um, but it, it, there was another translation that was like apt to the film, like very very clearly the film, um, not a um, not an accident. Nothing in the like nothing that they intended for the film in. Um, in terms of production or writing was, was by accident. Um, and this goes along with like the religious symbolism that happens throughout the film. Um, let's talk about the next big scene in the film after our opening. Right. So the loading up in the plane. Yes. Let's talk about the plane scene. You um, hear my rant about that whole thing. I absolutely. I know this, I'm setting you up, Errol. I'm putting it on a tee swing away, captain. Yeah. So starts off um, literally a perfect storm. You hear him like trying to, or the guy rushing people, and he's like, All right, hurry up. Like, I need your tickets. Storm coming in. They're trying to get the ice off of the plane. Um, yeah. And they're like, We need to take off because there's a storm coming, which is, which is all well and everything. But the number one important thing with any kind of like uh, uh, plane operation is making sure, like, that not only, yeah, are the windows, like, it's not just like a car, you don't just wipe the windows. Uh, there are uh, there are flight uh, flight instruments, flight indicate flight indicators that need to be like processed and made sure that they are all well. Right. If you look at that scene, like the whole thing's covered in snow to the point where they're just like trying to get it off. He's like, "Hurry up, we got to get out of here. They got to go." Um, they don't mention it at all, uh, but this is just like my theory uh, with how iced up it is. There's this one probe on most uh commercial airliners and it's a it's called the uh the pitted tube or the yeah the 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 p pito pito pro or pito tube pitot either way uh it's just a little it's a it's like a just a little cylinder thing with a hole on it and it's used for measuring airspeed uh pressure uh and also um like altitude if that little hole is closed then it can't sense it you don't get the sensors to the autopilot and then the plane's not able to do anything oh okay so they kind of foreshadow that something's going something's going to happen here but so they don't mention or even show anything on the pivot too but like if you've seen it like it's just like a little hole thing like if you ask me like it's it's a perfect storm and like if that is probably something that happened there too but eventually like the the way the whole plane crashes is just due to like a massive decompression like the the wing blows up like the engines are are it's so eerie like so they're sitting there and we didn't mention it but there's a theory that this whole movie is just like purgatory yeah we i was gonna i was gonna get to that like the there's the theory uh, the theory of the purgatory idea is basically that um he does kill himself well, either a he kills himself or he does die in the crash, and that the, what's actually happening is he's in purgatory, 
and the the other six men that survived the crash with him all represent like an element of his character like one one represents fear one represents um masculinity one like i i I can't i don't have the exact list in front of me but like and that in each um as each character and that the wolves so like he you can always tell when like at the beginning it looks like a real wolf where the rest of the the rest of the film the wolves are like they look like monsters monsters. yeah they look like and they're supposed to represent demons right his his inner demons and he's fending them off one by one but they are but as a suicidal man each part of him is being picked off by these demons until it's nothing left but his like alpha male his like his alpha male um true like inner self he's stripped he's stripped down to where it's just him it's just man right it's just only man versus ever and it he and the idea being his, like, that when he or his pity right and the idea that like when he's nose to nose with that final alpha wolf that that is the point where the where the narrative shifts to man versus self right he's and, fighting his demons right that's and 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 why it's like almost like it's a parallel to the suicidality scene is that when he is nose to nose with that alpha and he is it is man versus self just like him putting the barrel down putting the barrel of the rifle down like he chooses to fight and i think this is like mostly the message of the film is like um a life with purpose and meaning is like worth living and worth fighting for even even when you're struggling like like it's a very spiritual film in this way. Like I really think it's trying to convey the message that like, um, I, I, I don't necessarily think the film is trying to say you have to have faith to have meaning in, in life to, to make it worth living. Although I do think that's kind of part of what that's part of the, of the, the, the delivery system of the message of the film. But I really think the film is aiming to say that like, that like, uh, it's a survivor's film, right? But it's not a survive. It's not a literal survive the remote Alaskan wilderness. It's also like survive the survive the darkness of life. Exactly. They're um, all like looking for like reasons to live the whole time. Yeah, and they also like as they kind of interestingly enough, I also noticed that like almost all the men when they die, they're being like welcomed to the afterlife by a loved one. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of them are uh, this, this really hit home for me as a father of two daughters. They all, they all are ushered in. They, the first thing they think about is their daughters. Um, so the first guy that dies, <laughs> he tells him to, he goes like, Oh yeah. Think about your daughter. Let her, he's like, let her take you in. Let her take you. Um, well, can we can, can I pause you there for just a, a quick second? I do want to get mm-hmm. to this because it, it's very important, and I want I want you to I want you to take us there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I I want before we do that, I do want to talk about the actual plane crash scene, like the actual okay. crash, because I don't want to skip ahead of that. Because yeah, I no, really as think, I was going through the notes, I was like, oh wait, this is a whole yeah um, yeah because because well, we so, I want to get there and explain like why why he's ushering the man to death, but like or through death, but. Um, that plane crash sequence, um, just, just on a, on a film level, not, not necessarily on a philosophical level, spiritual level, theological level, mostly on just a filmmaking level, that plane crash doesn't show you much. Um, like in terms of like, it's not showing you a zoom out of the plane. It's not showing you plane malfunctions. It's not, you're just in the fuselage. You are just in there. You're like and where you should be. You're right with or like where he is. And everything's kind of zoomed in and the chaos and the panic is taking over. In my personal opinion, um, 
other than maybe flight with Denzel, this is the most realistic and intense plane crash sequence I've ever seen in a film. This this movie is like one of the sole reasons for like my, I have a reoccurring nightmare of a plane crash, and I I believe heavily it's like due to this. Dude, <laughs> I'm so glad you're saying this. This movie has this movie fucked with me too. It really did because mm-hmm. I've been on a plane. Um, a couple of times since this film, and every time this goddamn film comes into my head, no matter how You're hard just I ready try, to kick the person out the seat. I'm like, get out, because I'm laying down across these seats. I'm strapping <laughs> in. If this fucker starts to go, I'm I'm ready. I'm I watched Neeson. This is how he survived. And um, and the thing is, like, while that's happening, like, so like they're all sleeping for the most part, <laughs> and then like the purgatory thing kind of comes back because like they wake up and it's just freezing. They're like, wait, what's going on? And then like. Explosive decompression. Liam Neeson's in the safest spot, by the way, by the wing. Uh, that is the, the most structurally in integral or integrated part of the airplane. Okay. But yeah, he, he goes one further because Flannery's like, don't do that bullshit and tuck your fucking tuck your head between your legs. They I love I like this movie and I feel like I like it because I like Fight Club. <laughs> yeah, because that reminded me of Fight Club, Club too. Yeah, he totally he totally stole a lot. He's like Yeah. He's like, so you die faster or whatever, whatever. Yeah, he was like, um, uh, what is it? It's, um, it, it costs less for a funeral than rehab. Right. Yeah. Well, they could also like, they're, uh, not, well, that's not, well, that's the idea. That's not what he says. I think he says they'd rather collect, uh, they'd rather, um, they don't want to pay a settlement for survivors. Mm-hmm. So just want you to die. Right, and he's they, like, they don't want to have to like get, get sued. They'd rather get pissed too. They're like, "Fucking, why would you say that?" <laughs> oh, they get so mad at him. They <laughs> get, like, they start throwing like, shit at they're him. Like, they're like, "Whose friend is this? Who who likes this guy?" Is like so. <laughs> like honestly, he's like, "Who's who's friends with this guy?" Wait, in Fight Club or the Gray? No, in the Gray. With yeah, Flannery. Flannery. Yeah, they start throwing shit at him because he's so like he's just he's mad. like someone someone. Which we even talk about that. Well, they also <laughs> I also find it funny that's like a thing in the writing of the film is that they're always whatever they're all afraid of they want them they want each other to shut the fuck up about <laughs> like, <laughs> like even with the wolves let's like, stop talking about the fucking wolves like oh, as yeah, they're like, like uh, trudging through. Yeah, uh, 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 Berg. He's like, he's like, can we talk about something else? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> even Neeson, though, even even Liam Neeson yeah. at one point is just like, stop talking about the fucking wolves. He's like, girls will show up everywhere. Yeah, you'll start seeing them everywhere. Yeah, that's right. So like, um, I I, find, I think that's an interesting like. I think they really tapped into like uh, male like masculinity, like a masculine fear. Like that's totally, yeah. absolutely. Every time I've ever been scared, like I just that's my reaction too. Is just like shut the fuck up like shut up just push it down be a man you push that shit down you don't you pretend it doesn't exist that's why flannery's confused too he goes oh i thought you guys were tough he's like we're gonna (laughs) they're they're like we're probably gonna actually die yeah well it does happen it's a beautiful scene too well i say beautiful it's absolutely terrifying in the scene um it cuts so you they're they're really hitting the turbulence right and you think it's about to go down right there and then the scene cuts and and that is a brilliant filmmaking choice right there to like cut away from like the turbulence and to like because mm-hmm. he really does like settle your nerves for a second he's just like oh you're good because now it's calm and it's dark and everybody's sleeping and they must have gotten through the turbulence and then all of a sudden you just start to see everyone's breath and then the whole time the engine's just whirring like it's just oh going God. faster and faster so that means they're probably uh losing altitude 
Yeah, the, well, the cabin is like depressurizing, right? That's right. why, like, like the, all the, the temperatures dropping, it's freezing in in there. Like the, it, well, it's also an indication that the uh, that the the electrical system is down because yeah. so they don't have a heat source anymore. So something's definitely fucking wrong if the cabin's that cold. And, and then, so some guy yells, he's like, "Tell the captain to get on the thing and tell us what's wrong." Like he probably can't. Like, yeah, I mean, he's there. freaking out. Well, the cab, the the cockpit's open, and you can see like there's there's the last thing in the world you want to see. You look into the cockpit. There's a bunch of fucking wires sticking out of the wall, and they're just sparking everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, you're you're just, bam. it's your worst. If you're on a flight and you see that, just start praying. That's all you can do at that point. So one thing that I will say here to alleviate anyone who also has seen the movie or they plan on seeing it, or if they haven't, they're like, dude, this is, that's just crazy. Like, I don't like playing crashes. I won't do it. Um, yeah. One of the greatest achievements in like human history, probably only second to uh, the like world worldwide trade is the, um, is the scale of aviation that we have. And like the, how perfect it is. Right. It's almost like a near zero chance of you having an accident. And- yeah, it's absurd. What's the statistic? It's like there are statistically you like and, and they've done like full scale statistical problem well, models. Like you are way uh, more likely to die driving your car or driving. Oh, yeah, I, I believe I believe um, other than trains, it's the safest form of transportation over distance. And it, it's not close. No, it's not no, close. No, it's, it's not close at all. You're, like, you're, like, like. Like you could fly, and there are people who there. You could fly every day for like a hundred years, and you still have less than like a point zero zero something percent chance of 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 perishing in a crash. That's how infrequent it is for a plane to malfunction and cause human death. Like, and there's so much stuff. Fail safes. Yeah, that it's um it's yeah, yeah um one in now. one in eight hundred million flights. Yeah, that's a, that's what I'm saying. If you flew every day, how many days do you live? If you flew every day, twice a day, you could fly ten times a day for the entirety of your life, and you still you're still going to probably beat those odds. You're I'm almost definitely going to beat those odds. Yeah. So, um, on top of that, if a plane does totally lose its engines and like their wings don't rip off, it's a glider. Yeah, like, and well, it they is also- made to fly. Yeah, exactly. And not only that, well, you have like, although it does, you do hear like, um, I've heard, or I've, I've heard of, um, like lowering them, lowering standards to get pilots, uh, because there's like a pilot shortage or whatever, um, which you, you never like to hear that, but like at the end of the day, those guys, I'm not downplaying their abilities and their skill sets. Like I'm sure that they're very qualified and they have to go through a very rigorous, they, they have to log like, an un, unrelenting amount of flight hours to actually like commercial yeah, fly plane. Even, like realistically considered. Right. And, and I think that at the end of the day, the way that these planes are operating is like, like autopilot is like a, is like a literal sense. Like um, they're going to start probably like, using artificial intelligence for a lot of this, for a lot of, I believe you can like borderline. Uh, It's like there's autopilot, but there's like an auto landing too. Like you just need to yeah. put in, what they depends on the size do. of the of the plane of course oh yeah that too like um, like yeah, little there's... ones i actually my my work is uh where i work is literally adjacent to uh, to a, a, a an air an airport the syracuse airport here in syracuse new york and i watch planes land basically 
every day of my life. I watch them. I don't actually watch them hit touchdown, but I watch like they touch down just over a over, over a tree line right across the street from my work. So I'm seeing. I could throw a I could throw a baseball and hit a plane once a day if I wanted. That's how low they are. And like, you can definitely tell that like when the puddle jumpers in the summertime are landing, cause guys are just guys who have some money or who are just flying around for fun. And um, you know, they, they got their pilot's license and they're just looking to have, you know, just looking to, you know, maybe fly around the finger lakes in New York state or whatever you see them land and you can tell the difference. Like the, the plane is so much lighter. You can actually see the wings kind of waving back and forth. Like, um, Whereas like a commercial airline, they're so, they're so smooth and like, they just, they do not waver. It's like, it's like, it's, it's truly robotic the way that they're like approach a landing strip. It's quite amazing. Mm. And I'm, I'm telling this to probably listeners who have who've probably been well aware and have seen plenty of flights land, but. Yeah. Uh, they, um, I like how there's more uh, checks. There's legit more checks and balances in uh, flight safety than there is like, surgery oh definitely and way way sense. less error it kind of makes sense because you're dealing with more lives because at way first more. i'm like at first i'm like you would think that they'd care more because it's like literally like your hand your wrist deep in there but no there's more you got more lives to worry about you, that's it's a not, lot harder to explain i mean it's even worse than that like I, I believe that one of like the top five causes of death um in the world is is medical error Yep. misdiagnosis or like uh, unsanitized unsanitary practices whatever it is it's like it's something that it's an error by a medical practitioner that that led to death that's one of the leading causes of death in the world about. but anyway let's circle back to the gray um that plane crash sequence is harrowing and when they do when they do crash and Liam as it's neeson, going liam neeson doesn't pass out until he's upside down yeah, literally, it forces him to. Yeah, he's hanging he's on upside down, and that's the last thing. Like that could have been it. And he's fucking exposed too. Like at that point, the it's so the plane, freezing. freezing. Yeah, and the plane had absolutely been. Uh, uh, what's what's the what's the term? I get like dismembered almost. I don't know how you like it, uh, completely de- ripped it, it open. Explosive. It it had an explosive decompression. Yeah, so like the, the part of the fuselage had actually been detached, and he's completely exposed to the elements as it's crashing. Um, I wonder. It kind of makes it seem like he was ejected. Um, from- right, because he doesn't like strap himself to think. But that's also, if you ask me, that leans right towards the purgatory thing. Potentially, he just, right. He just wakes up in like a vast blank, cold. There's nothing around. It's Dude, just- I don't know how they did it too. Like when he emerges from that snow, it genuinely looks like his he had his head had been buried in ice cold temperature snow, like for for many minutes. Like his face was so red. And like it really looked, I mean, once again, I think the magic trick of this film and Joe Carnahan's approach to it is the the like hyper realism of everything. Yeah. Just everything feels so like- real. It's it, like in um, it, it, Liam Neeson's character is a jack of all trades. Like these people, like they're ignorant at times, but like they all they all like know like what's going on for the most part. They have a if if they all don't know, then at least one person in the group has a pretty good idea of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
I really like how that plays out through the whole thing. And you get like a in the first one of the first inst- instances of that, right when he he goes over the ledge, he's like, Oh my god, it's awful. He's like playing crash. He runs in, he just starts trying to help people. I believe he finds I believe he finds Flannery. And Flannery's like, Oh my god, it hurts. So, oh my god, this fucking is crap. He's like the playing crash man. The plane yeah. crash, it's in pieces. Well, the one guy is in no no no, that's not Flannery. Flannery Yeah, yeah, no, that's the second guy. Flannery so, knows uh, what happened. It's but he's, the second he's hurt. Guy. Yeah, he so Flannery's like hurt, I believe. And he's like, Oh right. my god, it hurts so bad. And he and then, and and then the one easy, big guy. Like, it's the big yeah. Hispanic guy who's like kind of like rocking back and forth in disbelief. Oh, oh yeah, he's he's in shock. But yeah, he's um, in total shock. Yeah. Liam Neeson goes to uh, Flannery, he goes, uh he goes, You're hurt. He, or he goes, It hurts. He's like, It's good that it hurts. Meaning you're because alive. It well that and there's no no major nerve damage. Right, you can right, yeah. feel what's going on. You down didn't there, break then, your spine. You didn't break your right. Neck. Exactly. You could feel it. It hurts, but like you could also not feel it, and well, that, that is a problem. Yeah. So um, but I love it because he goes, he goes, uh, he's like, it's good that it hurts, and then Flannery goes, he goes, it's good that it hurts. He goes, I'm fucking fabulous. Then I'm fucking fabulous. Yeah. Right. <laughs> he like, he's like, oh, it's good. Oh, if you now that you mentioned if that's a case. I guess I'm fucking. I guess I'm. I'm I guess I'm all aces then. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so um, he uh he goes to the other guy and yeah, just total shock. He doesn't even like know what's going on. He's like he's like you're not hurt. He's like but you're in shock. He's like you got to get up. I need your help. He's like yeah, but like where's the pilots? He's like the pilots are gone. He's like he's like get it together, come on. Um, and then like after they kind of group up everyone in the plane. There's the other. There's the guy who's just dying. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah, just that's straight that's, up just dying. Yeah, that's the scene. That's like, um, so that kind of. Ca- I think that scene really. And we'll, we'll let's. We're gonna dive into it now. Um, I just want to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna kind of tee you up again, Errol. Um, I think that that scene, the scene of which, um, there's a, like he, I can't remember which what the character's name is, but uh, I don't even think that you really get his name. But he's internally ble- not internally bleeding, externally bleeding. He has an yeah, external wound down, and it's and in his. Like, this is a lot of blood. It's his. Uh, uh, yeah, he, he starts realizing how much blood he's losing, and Liam Neeson ushers him, th- it, ushers him through the process of of death in a way that no no action film, no thriller, no dramatic film, no film has ever done it this way, and it's. It's once again the hyper realism of the film. It's and just I, so like cut and dry. Like he's like it straight is. up. This is you're how dying. it's happening. You're going this to is die. What's going to happen? Tells him you're going to die. And I really and, think I really think that that caps. I just want to say this, and I'll let you take it from there. Um, this caps off the first. What I, I think this all takes place. Everything we described for the most part. This this all takes place within the first twenty seven minutes or so, twenty eight minutes of the film, like no more than thirty five minutes or so into the film that that you've experienced all of this intense, intense, like film experience, full experience, like you are immersed, and this movie is pounding you with like emphatic uh, sense, like your senses overload, sensational overload. Like you are just totally assaulted by the film in a visual way, in a philosophical way, an emotional way. Um, and I would say, I would, I would hazard to say it's probably the greatest first 30 minutes of, of any action film, um, maybe in the last 20 years. I, I mean, would that be safe to say? There, I don't think there's really, there's not a lot of other movies that have just like enthralled me. Like, oh yeah like i've never just been like oh my god what's going on like in just like every single turn it's it's still 
has that intensity and only gets more intense. It really does. It grabs you by the throat in those for in this. So I say it caps it off. I don't mean that it ends because the intensity starts to rebuild. I think it just, oh, yeah, a, they you get a reset, shake the bottle. Yeah, they do. Exactly. They, they shake it up quickly and then kind of reset and then start the slow build again. And then they give you little doses of intensity that kind of build more and more and more. And the film continues to just be beautiful and, and shocking and violent and action packed all the way through the rest of the film as well. But that first, the first 30 minutes leading up to the, the death scene with Liam Neeson is unmatched in, in modern action films. Um, but Errol, why don't you ex- explain what happens in the way that he kind of ushers this gentleman through um, the death, the experience of dying? Like, what does he tell so, Yeah, so how, like, what you were saying earlier, like, this movie does a really good job at, like, the realism. Um, he, he walks up to the guy, and they're like, help him. Like, he needs help. And he's like, help me, too. And he's like, this is a lot of blood. He's like, I know that. Like, and it seems like he's not, like, confident, but he's like, I know that this should be on the inside. Like, I need to. Right, yeah. Um what he has there and he i i think they like hint at it he has and it happens uh to people um like right before they actually die or if they think they're going to die like if it happens all the time uh, in the in medical terminology it's called a sense of impending doom okay yeah, yeah you will just you'll sense. get this feeling that like something bad is going to happen like it's going to happen because it is like you would like that's your body like freaking out and it's like you know, fight or flight like average you just get juiced it, it comes so, back in the film later right like th- this this uh a character experiences this experiences this exact thing the impending doom is experienced by another character later in the film um when when he's by the riverside He's like, oh, yeah, I can't, he's like, um, he tells him, I can't even, exp- I can't even explain it with words, man. He literally right. says the, says that to uh, one of the other survivors. Um, but not at, it, yeah, but it's just not as like uh, visceral though. Cause this is, it's like a, it's a physical, it's a physical reaction. You just, you literally, or sorry, it's like a, it's a medical, uh, medical response to trauma is just the sense of impending doom. And he goes, uh, he goes, something, something's wrong. This doesn't feel right. And uh, what else? He says like a couple other things. Um, yeah, so he yeah he's pretty much just sitting there. He's like yeah something doesn't feel right. He's like I don't know what's good. He's like I don't like this. Uh, blah blah blah. And he's kind of just he's spinning his wheels, and then Liam Neeson right. takes over and just tells then him. he's like this is yeah he's like this is what's gonna happen. He's like you're gonna die. He's like think of a good time. He's like do you have someone to care about? He says my daughter. Um, I don't know his daughter's name. But whenever I watch that, I could have swore that he mounts mama as he dies because he go like he has this look in his eye. He's like, what? Like he didn't expect something. And then he goes like he's like, mama, at least that's what I thought I seen because he's like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm like here with my daughter. Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, wait a second. And he's like, oh, ma, like ma. Yeah. And then, I mean, uh, either way, it's always a, it's a, always because this movie is all. It's all men, right? It's all hard-nosed yeah. oil-working men who are who have been away from their families, who miss the miss the women in their lives. This is, what I yeah. think, it really resonates with me as like a, and really especially girls' house. <laughs> this well, yeah, and this week, this week has been tough. I've been I've been working a lot. I haven't seen my kids much at all this week, and or my wife for that matter. And it's like, um, I have two daughters, so this like this movie really just like that's it, that's. This part of the film really sunk its teeth into me. Not to not to personalize it too much, but like I really felt it because I haven't seen I haven't seen my kids all week. Like basically, I've seen them for like an hour a day on each end of the day at best. And it's like 
you know, you get that. <clears throat> it's it's a week. These guys are going probably months without seeing their kids, and some men have it even worse. But like, they miss the women in their lives, and every time one of them is is killed or is dying, and you and it's interesting that you really do get to experience all of their deaths. Um, and they all seem to be kind of like they all kind of die. Nobody dies like instantly. Everybody kind of no. Well, not pure, not totally instantly, but like I guess the with, when it's artistically displayed, it's not it's not instant. Like you get to, it's like the, the director in his visualized style slows the death down and you get to like, you get to experience it in a little, in a bit of a way, like you experience what their last um, thoughts are or what they want their what, what you imagine them to be thinking about. It's and awful. every time, well, I don't want to finish this point. Yeah. And then, but every time it's, oh, it's the women in their lives that usher them into the afterlife every time. But- Oh yeah, it's always they're always uh, uh looking for that like femininity, that uh that familiarity towards mm-hmm. the end. It's who but, they uh, miss, it's who they love and who they're without. And it's also just like it's the contrast of like the hyper masculine um aspect of the film met with put like, on met with the beautiful feminism of, of a woman on on the other side. Like it's it's there's a contrast in in the two that is like very um potent. Right. Um yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and then like, uh, so right after that, they're like, "All right, we got to get our shit and like get out of here." Um, Burke's in hysterics just because he's still like trying to figure out what's going on. He's just laughing. He's like, he cannot comprehend what's going on. Um, someone's like, "What do we do with all the bodies?" Uh, I think Diaz. He goes, "Fuck the bodies," and he's actually right there, if you ask me. As an atheist, yeah. <laughs> no, mean, no, no, not even as an atheist. I could be a full as a survivalist. Yes, you don't want to. You don't know uh, the calor, the caloric intake and output is not guaranteed. Right. You cannot waste conserve calories energy moving, moving bodies. Like, but you're not gonna make. You're gonna be right there with them. Like, right. it, it, there's, it's, you can't do it. Like the only they do move them later in the movie, but that is uh, when they. Like get a base, like get water, get food, and then they need to move the bodies away so the wolves don't fucking think it's like easy pickings. But not only that, but like he he also mentions that like uh, when they think that they're in the den or they're close to the den, he's like they're not here to hunt. They're not here to hunt. They're here to kill. Yeah, they're like yeah, they're like why'd they kill that one guy? Or like they they just want to kill you because they they're threatened. They're not they're not trying to eat. They're trying to like kill you because they're threatened by you. But because they're close to the den, they're like they ate him. He's like no, they killed him. Yeah, that's fucking um, sick. That but was that's, when you think about it too. Like, I didn't even catch it the first time. Um, and it, I was like, kind of, I was like, oh yeah, kind of uh, got it there. Uh, on the other end, uh, you end up learning from Liam Neeson. Uh, but either way, so the guy's like going out to pee when he gets attacked, right? Like he's yeah, going yeah. out. They get yep. like the base established. He's uh, pissing on the two-hour break, um, and he gets attacked. Those wolves are like smelling the piss. They're like, this is another apex predator. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, that's actually a great point. I never thought about that. Like, yeah, they, that's like when they first attack. Because this dude's they're like, quote unquote marking their territory. Ter- yeah. like, this is and they're like, this is thirty miles. This is our den. Like, that what is are a you literal. Doing here? It's a literal territorial pissing. That is, yeah, actual... they're having a pissing match. <laughs> it's quite literally. No, it's true. And then before they leave, Liam, like, uh, or sorry, um, 
uh, John's like, we have to. He's like, we got to go for the tree line. And he's like, why? And he's like, they fucking pissed all over this place. He's like, it's <laughs> theirs. Yeah, it is. Well, he also is. He, and it is kind of a it's a 50 50 coin flip. He's he's saying get to the tree line because um, he doesn't want to be um, exposed. The, well, he exposed a and B because he thinks that he, he wants you got to move. If you're going to move away, thinking that you could be in the den because they've already attacked right there. Mm-hmm. You assume that they must be close to the den. How close? You don't know, but you're definitely too close if they're already attacking by the plane. So he's like, we got to move in one direction. Let's move towards the trees. Cause if, if we're moving, if we got to move any direction, we're going towards the trees. He's um, like, we got to find the, we got to find South and we got to get walking. Cause well, they could also get temperature too, or uh, they could, or shelter. I should, I should say mm-hmm. to, 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 you know, if, if you've got trees, you can get some, you can get limbs, you can get, you know, you can, there's shrubbery. You can put together some kind of shelter to keep you out of the cold and, and also fire. So like, there's more like that. I mean, this and this all makes perfect, you know, survivalistic sense. But you're running the risk of like moving closer to the den, which you find out at the end of the film. That's exactly what yeah, they find. They did. crashed within 30 miles. <laughs> yeah, but also, also, what's crazy is that it's almost like fate brought him, brought him to the center of the den. It's like he needed. It's like he wanted to die, and then it's yeah. like he'll test you. Yeah. No. Yeah. It was almost like yeah. It was like it was like the the gods pushed him to pushed him all the way into the act like the epicenter of of like destruction and he was there he was like down on his knees and he was like i wish i was dead and then like yeah you know, monkey's paw do something do something he's he's calling he's literally calling see in my in interpretation it was almost like his faith was being restored because he was at, the, at least at that point at he least he started to, to believe yeah he was talking like, to god yeah. He was like actually talking to him, like his faith has truly been restored. Because if you're if you're truly not like unfaithful or non faithful, even bother. You wouldn't even bother. Yeah, exactly. Who are you talking to? Like mm-hmm. the fact that he was calling. F- it's like it's always been in the back of his head. Um, do you think he was uh, calling for? Hold on, I want to ask you. Do you think he was calling for his for for God to 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 annihilate him or for God to save him? No, I, I think he just wanted a sign that it was all worth it. Like, just show me, show me anything, and I'll die now happy. Well, like, show me anything, and I'll like, I'll believe, like, I'll, I'll know that. There oh, was he does say that too. I'll believe till the day I die. He even says, yeah, right? Anyway. Yeah, he just wanted a sign of existence. Um, but uh, yeah, before uh, before that guy gets his uh, gets his uh, sack ripped off, um, they find uh, they find a girl by the uh, by a fire, and he's like, "Oh snap!" And she's just kind of sitting there. She's getting ate by a wolf. Oh yeah. Yep. And then he gets sacked by a wolf and get, flies like a foot into something, <laughs> and like gets bit on the leg. And then, like so, they end up like getting him away and stuff. And like one of the guys, he's like, "Was what is it? What were those? Was that coyotes?" <laughs> I was like, bro, "Bro, do you know the size of that? Is a quarter of the size of a coyote?" They wouldn't have came out here if they wouldn't have sacked me up against the tree. They wouldn't even have looked at us if they're coyotes, bro. You would have been, you would have been more, <laughs> you would have been closer to the truth if you had said, bro, what was that, a dinosaur? <laughs> <laughs> you would have been way closer. It would have been a better guess for you to assume that was a motherfucking prehistoric dinosaur than a coyote. Was that a moose? Is that a moose? <laughs> Bro, have you ever seen moose? Moose are insane. yeah, actually moose are. I think moose are dead. They're the size of a fucking, They're literally the size of like a small garage. They're I think they're. Dark. I think they're technically more deadly than wolves. Like per year, more people die from. Moose yeah, because they're they're super like they're super territorial and they're dumb fast. That and if you hit a moose in a car, 
Or if oh, you hit yeah. a wolf in a car, you hit that moose. Yeah, that thing's gonna spaz out with its fucking giant antlers. And it's even though you could hit it, and it could die, but that thing's coming. Yeah, exactly. That thing's gonna take the top off. Like it's like drive. It's like driving into a fucking. It's like driving into a brick wall. Right. <clears throat> um, but yeah, like so. Right. Uh, oh, also, like right before uh, the dude gets a. Uh, uh, gelded for lack of a better word um i think a diaz he's like looting the bodies like desecrating the corpses and um and uh always like i'll start beating your fucking ass he's like in the next five seconds i'm gonna start beating the shit out of you he's like you're gonna swallow a lot of blood for a fucking billfold that was great right? <laughs> yeah, he's like, fine. great writing he's like all right <laughs> he's like he's like, I'm, I'm going to beat the shit out of you like in the next fight we're going to fight yeah and I'm, like I'm no he didn't going... say we're gonna fight he says i'm gonna start beating the yeah, shit i'm gonna start yeah i'm gonna, gonna start happen. beating i'm gonna start beating the shit out of you in the next five seconds <laughs> <laughs> and you're gonna swallow a lot of blood for a fucking billfold. He just throws it. He's fine. Yeah. But then it's funny. I so mean, Liam Neeson is be... like six foot six. Like I'm, I'm, and, I don't blame him. And that character wanted to take the wallets when it was for a selfish reason. He was like, I want to take these. And then when Liam Neeson goes, we should take the wallets. So for the pictures, the guy goes, you guys, I'm not gonna waste my fucking time. Like you wanted them before, now you don't want to fucking help. Like get the wallets because it's yeah, not Diaz, like about the Diaz comes around at the end, but man, he's got and I don't like he's obviously the whole point of him is uh, to be kind of unlikable. He's like he's like the ego. He's like the he's like the right. ego uh, person in the. You got to have one a even in a traditional. Got to have a heel, right? You got to have a heel, but also he. If we're talking, if we're gonna go with the theory that they all represent a part of Otway, um, he would represent like the, the he would represent both fear and ego because like he's very clearly afraid, and Otway Otway calls him on it, um, and uh, I don't know even even. Um, even the, even in the sense that they're trying to accomplish that with the character, I think some of his writing's a little weak. Um, it's either the writing yeah, or too. the acting. He's almost like he's got it, some lines. Almost, he's very childish. He's yeah, like needlessly like a prick. I'd be like, dude, like we like you could die like right now. I don't know, and he's also just trying to be a little. I mean, he does. I will say this: it is very realistic because, like, I've I've worked with some blue collar guys that say s- stupid shit like that. This is fuck city population five and dwindling. Like, first of all, like <laughs> like like you're in a, you're literally just survived a plane crash, and like the, these are like the cheeky little like sh- like shit eating grinned lines that you're that you're stoking up like like you wouldn't do that yeah i don't think you'd be trying to be like and i guess i guess that outweigh calls mine like you're trying you're scared and so you're trying to like puff your chest out or whatever but like Mm -hmm. i don't know i just thought i thought the actor who played diaz does not show any of his like acting chops until towards the end right yeah that's a good point i thought i thought he could be better right after that too he finds those uh, shotgun shells a combat multiplier Mm. Oh yeah, that was sick. That was sick. that is sick. That, that was really fucking cool. sick. Brilliant. Well, the yeah. whole the whole impl and uh, like uh, how they implemented those. Um, but, oh yeah. Um, when they when they make it to the snow line, uh, after Flannery gets wrecked, when they're like all running there and they get the fire, uh, you you know how uh Liam or sorry uh, uh Otman go or Otway goes. <laughs> I messed up like Flannery did. <laughs> Otway goes uh, um. 
they're like what was that like you hear like the you hear the wolves going back and forth and then you just hear like a and then like a like a whine oh yeah and he's like he's like what the heck was that and he's like someone someone challenged the alpha and he put him down oh yeah that happens at the end too where they all clear out so that liam neeson right yeah they're like like the one one happens again well i was thinking this i just had a thought about this and i wonder i wonder what you think about this maybe each character actually represents an element a different element of fear like logical fear because i'm thinking what's the significance of i mean i get that like so his like deceased wife continuously shows up with them lying in the bed in like this heavenly way, right? All throughout mm-hmm. the film. And I, I get that like the point is to show her like healthy, 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 and then you find out it's a hospital bed and that she's dying and that she died. But she also always says to him, Don't be afraid. And I wonder if like if fear is like the, the like that is the that's the elemental. Uh, component of the characters of each character because they because then they have too many conversations about fear and for it only to apply to simply diaz alone oh yeah so maybe that's like a component i don't know it's it's die in like different ways too so it would kind of true. make sense yeah that's actually true and they're yeah they all die in unique ways and they all and they all like all of their deaths are are artistically displayed for sure as well like the um, first one would be the death of his innocence. Um, the second one, I guess, would be like the death of like almost like the second and the third would be like the death of like femininity or like intercourse, I guess. Because like the, he he watches the girl die, and then the guy mm-hmm. dies on a shift too, and he gets he gets his dick ripped off by the wolves. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. I mean, they don't explicitly show that, but like, yeah, I mean, no, it, it, no, it does. He's, he's pissing. And then they like attack him. And then the another dish. one. Yeah. Then another one bites him on the leg and the guy, he doesn't yell or anything. He whimpers. He did. That's why they're like, we didn't even hear him. He gets bit on the dick. He's like, like, as you would, like, if yeah. you just get, it's not even <laughs> yeah. like, it's not even like it, dude, they like, it's his whole grundle. Like they like pelvis, like whoosh, he's like, mm-hmm. Oh. I was like, damn. I love well, I also love the well the, the, another line that alludes to like um to alludes to the the survivors not actually being truly human and, and them actually just like Otway survives and he's he's the only one that survives or he's in purgatory or whatever. The another line is the opening line that indicates that like they didn't sur- that these men are not are figments of his imagination or they represent elements of his like his persona is the opening line like he says quote a job at the end of the world a salaried killer for a big petroleum company i don't know why i did half the things i've done but i know this is where i belong surrounded by my own ex-cons fugitives drifters assholes and then the line right here men unfit for mankind yep so like these men these men like that's an illusion or or a piece of foreshadowing that these men weren't weren't fit to live they weren't fit right. for they weren't fit for the human race. These are just these are misfits. These are these are toys in the box. You know, people uh, it, like it misfits like mispl- misplaced people. Uh, neither yeah. neither fit for heaven or hell. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, you're 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 grasping where I'm grasping. I mean, mm-hmm. oh, another another line I really love from Otway is is during that like uh, during that like kind of meltdown he's having at God. He he t- he says. He says, uh, prove it, fuck faith, earn it. 
which is like I've never heard anyone like speak to God that way. Right. Like yeah. earn it. Like, damn, you he's need like, to earn I've, my faith. Yeah, like, he's, like I've, he's like, I've done like so much. Like I've done, I prove stuff. Like he's like, you need to prove anything <sighs> to me right now. Yeah, and remember, this is an actor. This is an actor who is putting this performance on. You see it in his fucking eyes too, man. Like, and this, this is what makes this movie so special is like, and I really, I, it makes me wonder like why he took this role. And I mean, I don't know, maybe the work helped him help distract him from I mean, his wife was 45 years old when she died. I mean, it's not like she was like old and it was a freak accident. It happened fast. And this film came out less than two years. You got to imagine he went into the production of this film probably less than a year after his wife died. It wasn't the only film he made either, according to his uh, filmography. Um, But like this movie must have, this is the one that must have hit close to home, especially given the context of like the plot in that he had a wife, he has a deceased wife in the film and the director's like urging him, urging him to like channel his grief. You fucking see that, right? Does that for you? To, I mean, you didn't know that. I don't. Were you aware of that? No, no, I film? didn't. But like, it definitely something feels it, almost off about the the like, fucking hype. This is what I'm saying. So, hyper realism. So authentic. Yeah, the hyper real. The authenticity of this film is like is truly second to none. And like, it is a great Liam Neeson performance. And I think a lot of that has to do with maybe what he was going through in his personal life for sure. Yeah, no, that's a, I don't think that's too far of a stretch at all. But um, yeah, when they um, when they make it into the uh, into the forest and they make that fire, and uh, they hear that other wolf get like put down, and uh, uh, Otway goes, <clears throat> he goes, it was a challenge, and then he put him down. The guys like, uh, I think we should just like take him on right now or whatever. And he goes, no, we're gonna do what they're gonna do. We're gonna do what they're doing and just try to pick them off one by one i think the wolf that challenged the alpha was like same thing that that guy was saying he's like yo let's jump him let's just do it right now and the alpha's like no like we're gonna pick him off and he's like nah like let's do this and then yeah put him down like, well i, I did notice like like uh a little bit later in the film when they're like um it, it's down to uh 2v2 yeah, you saw that too, and it was it was two yeah. two. Yeah, they're like chasing him up the river, and it's two on two, and like this is strategic, right? This is like it's also oh, yeah. just like it's each one of their demons. Like if the wolves represent the like demon, the demon theory of of the film. Oh, yeah. um, and man, that's what, like a, what a way he a goes. Thing too. What, what was that? I'm sorry. What was that character's name? Do you remember? Burke. No, uh, not Burke. Heinrich. 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 That's right. The way Heinrich goes is fucking awful man like no it's i mean nobody like, dies pleasantly but jesus but Christ. that it's it's yeah that scene it's almost comedic how like awful it is yeah like because he hard. goes to like he goes he, immediately like he's like trying to figure out what's happening he's like, he's like what are you doing down there yeah he's like trying to like what pull the fuck up. are you doing down there <laughs> right he's trying to he's pull very up, frustrated realize, yeah. right realizes that he's stuck and he's like oh i gotta like i gotta do the buddy breathing so <laughs> goes to do it and the guy just like Shakes him breathe. off and he starts squeezing. He's like, "Stop! He's Stop like, fucking breathing! Hold your breath! Hold your breath!" And, well, and my wife, my again. wife is uh, Errol. You know this. Ashley's a you know she's a trained lifeguard, and she mm-hmm. was just like, she can't watch that stuff because she's just like, "What are you doing? Like, stop!" stop pulling up like you have to go down you have to go down right, like you have to you like, have to like stop ab- get the obstruction out. yeah stop flipping out and go get the exactly get the obstruction yeah. out of the way he's just trying to break his limit. leg yeah and he's then but to they also it. heinrich he's just screaming and he's like stop 
Because I don't yeah, think he knows. He doesn't even know that he's like. So he's, he's absolutely panicking. Like, yeah, he's, he's like, flipping he's out. Past it, he didn't. He just going and then stuck. Well, I say, oh. and I, I also just mentioned that like nobody die in the film dies peacefully, and that is actually true. Even though uh, Diaz chooses to like, he like quits. He's like, I emptied out my tank. Like, well, he's just like he's not seem peaceful. What about the the one guy when they do when they jump across the ridge and it snaps? Oh, he hits every single branch on the way down, and he's like, "Oh, this is bad." He coughs up blood. He's like, "This," but then he feels his daughter. Well, I no, well, yes. I mean, I, I, my point is simply that they die violently it, when they actually. Oh, yeah. he's getting, they, it's, it's not really his daughter; it's just the wolves biting his face. But. Yeah, well, it not, well, it's not even that. It's once they've passed over to like the afterlife, it seems peaceful. But like, what's going on in real life is violent and vicious and and awful. And I say that because Diaz is chooses that like beautiful i loved that scene that scene is like imprinted in my mind because it's such a apt it's a painting i mean it's an unbelievable shot as he's sitting on a log next to that river with the beautiful snow-capped mountains in the background and it's just beautiful this beautiful scene and he's just like this is he's like i'll never get anything this beautiful nothing like nothing as beautiful as this is waiting for me anywhere else so he chooses to die there and and they do that carnahan does this beautiful thing where he does this like it's like a tracking zoom shot, right? Like, I don't even know how he does it. It's like, it's zooming. It's very hypnotic, right? Zooming like, out and zooming in at the same time. Kind of. It's not even that. It's almost like the camera is lowering as it's zooming. So you want to know, you, you want to know like what I got from that? That's the wolf. Yeah. Like it <laughs> yeah, transitions it that like. like thing into like the wolves. Like you're like, you're the wolves creeping you hear in them, and you hear them coming too. Like you hear, right, the, you hear like the, the thing snap and he's yeah. kind of like, Ooh, then he's like, Dude, that sound scared. Listen, I've, I've done, I've done hikes in the Adirondack mountains in the dead of winter during actually I've been, unfortunately like on a, I've been like 3,800 feet up, like um in, in the middle of a blizzard before. And like, I'm going to tell you something right now. There's nothing more like, alarming than hearing like a bunch of branches breaking like because it's and here's the other thing too in the wilderness like i'll say this too is like because i've done a couple of those winter hikes there's nothing i've said i've probably said this a million times i've never said it on the podcast but i'll say i'll say and i've maybe even reiterating it to you or regurgitating a bit but like there is nothing more deafening than like intense snowfall in in like the remote wilderness it is. It is literally deafeningly. Cold. Oh, it, well, it's, the it silence. Everything. It's yeah. It, con, it like compresses the sound, but it's so. It's also loud. Like the, the silence is loud. You can hear the silence. I don't know how to describe it. It's very bizarre. It's a very bizarre experience. And like when you hear when you hear branches breaking, like it is so fucking loud. And it like there's something very like in a uh, there's something very primal or like uh, evolutionary about like when you hear noises in the woods, when you're like vulnerable, like well, something thing too, all the wires a, in your brain start like lighting up. Cause realistically, if something, if you hear like a, a something break in the woods or like a, a twig break and it's getting closer, like herbivores don't, they avoid everything. Right. So yeah. If you hear oh, something yeah. getting closer. It, it, it's cousin it is interested in you. That's a motherfucking carnivore. That's an meat eater coming. It's way. something that is not scared. <coughs> and that is the last thing you want to be like, you know, dealing with in the, in the woods is something that isn't scared. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he elects for that like beautiful, um, 
what he is, he, I think he knows it's not going to be a peaceful death, but maybe he's hoping he dies before the wolves get to him. Um, doesn't seem like that's happening because it seems, yeah, yeah, it seems yeah, like yeah. they basically circle him as soon as the other men have like started to move on up the, up the river. Um, Errol, is there any, I, I, I hate to close. It's such a great film and we could talk at length, but it, we do have a, a bit of a schedule to keep on, on the pod. So is there anything else major you want to hit before we, um, take a quick break and then and then close things out with our rating. Yeah, honestly, the only other one um, would be a uh, Burke's death for like the realism. Oh, right. Like he's like coughing the whole time. Yeah, the hypoxia. Yeah, and then like so he just he's sleeping, and then like he just wakes up and he's like, uh, he was like, "Did you guys see Emma?" And they're like, "No." And they're like, "What? Who are you?" And then they're like, "Oh yeah, man. Like, Joe, she's like, she's not here yet. Like, it'll be fine." And then he's like, well, tell, tell her that I'm here and, or I'm coming. And uh, then he passes back out. And then they're like, what the heck is that? And then the guy who, like, knows Burke the most, he's like, he's like, it's hypoxia. Like, he's not getting enough oxygen to his brain. Um, he's hallucinating. Uh, and he was hallucinating his sister who died when he was a child. Yeah. Once again, this is what I'm saying is like, it's, it's like, it's the masculinity with the femininity, like contrast. Also, the realism of that, my, when my grandfather was um like when he was on his deathbed, he like hallucinated like some of like his cousins or someone like it was like, he, he thought like his like children were like his, like he, he said dad or something. He was like, He's like, oh, like dad's here. It's so interesting because like you do, you do. Well, we're going to talk about this later in the month, um, especially when uh, we have a podcast that we're in the midst of, uh, we're, we're in the beginning stages of developing a podcast that's going to, we're going to, I'll, I'll announce it now. We're going to talk about um, psychedelic medicine um, as, a, as a treatment and as an experiential treatment um, in that matter. Um, and like, I'm just going to say like, this is what a lot of, um, hallucinogenic psychedelic uh, medical treatments are, this is what they're kind of as a, as a treatment for trauma. Like this is what's happening to a lot of these, a lot of people who are um, seeking help for mental health or addiction or whatever it is. Like, this is what they're experiencing. They're experiencing something very similar when, when under the, um, under the condition of, of one of these hallucinogens is that they're constant. They're just, they're, they're uh, re-engaging with like deep, deep memories that have been buried and they're like resurfacing like involuntarily in a psychedelic experience. And like uh, this film kind of reaches at this death thing, like as, as a similar experience where it's almost like uh, it's almost like, it's almost like childhood or something peaceful is, is, is kind of like a part of the experience of death um, or something that happens in the neurochemistry of the brain. Right. Um, well, they even say that like it washes over you in the swarm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, that's good. Any, uh, any other things you want to hit? Remember, we can always do a part two. This is such a oh, great yeah. film. I, I would never, I would never close this the chapter on this. Close the book oh, on yeah, this no, film. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. The the one thing I do like is uh, <laughs> like pretty much every time he reads that poem, there was a, there was like a loud noise or like a, like it was the wolves, and then he does it another time where he just reads it when they're around the fire, and then the like the thunder booms. 
Yeah. And then he does it at the end, and then yep. like there's like the wolf snarl. Yeah, it is. It's a well, it's like a it's a call to fight. Is like it's like a call to continue. It's a survivalist. It's like a survivalist um, uh, uh, mantra, a survivor's mm-hmm. mantra almost. Um, I find I find my I tell myself uh, no I butcher I've been butchering it for the last like decade or so, but I've I've always told myself uh, like live today, die today. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, that's what it is. That's what the film is getting at. Is that like? Well, it's pretty much um. What is it? It's uh. Uh, oh, the the Latin. I should I should know this. Uh, seize the day. What is it? Uh, oh, carpe diem. Yeah, carpe diem. Yeah, yeah, it is that. In 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 essence, in essence, I mean, the film in its context kind of reaches a little bit deeper than that. But um, um, oh, well, uh, before we before we close out, I did want to I wanted to get your take on on the way it ends. A lot of people were not like thrilled with the way the abrupt ending without. And it, it, what I was reading is that it actually there is a fight sequence that was filmed, um, and Carnahan decided to cut it. I agree with that choice. Um. Did you know that there's a uh, there's a scene at the end? There's a post credit scene. Yeah. 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 I mean, it gives you it gives you a little. It doesn't give you the fight sequence, and it doesn't give you much, but it gives you a, the wolf, him laying on the wolf, and the wolf is still alive, and you see his breath a little bit. I think so, indicating that they both lived. They fought it out, but they both. <clears throat> what I got from it is that they're both dying, and that is like their that is their both their last breath. Oh, could be no that could be absolutely um because there's no way that alpha wolf's just gonna let that dude like lay on him so he's hurt yeah. enough to that and he then fucked if, him up uh, yeah he put he put a he put a hurt on him to some degree right and uh, if he's just gonna lay there on him like that is uh did you think it was a good artistic choice to do that yeah i didn't need to see i already saw what the wolves got i didn't need to see him like uppercut the thing and then gut it like I, I got the picture man well he he said that like the um emotional conclusion of the film had already taken place which right. is exactly right like you already got i, I thought it was perfect and, I, and it didn't it surprised me in the theater but it didn't disappoint me i didn't feel like oh i wanted to see where that was going i didn't feel that at all i was like i didn't man. i didn't wait for the ending the first time i saw it no that's not how, even the post yeah, that's how. Well, yeah, that's. Oh, how he, yeah, you were you were fulfilled, right? I see. Yeah, I was like, I was like, you know what? Because at first, of course, you asked, did he make it? Did he not? I'm like, of course he didn't fucking make it. Like, what are you saying? Yeah. The wolves. But, he, but he, he said, fuck it, I'm going for it. I'm gonna fight today because I'm gonna I'm gonna live to to die today. That's why I like when he like when he was screaming at God. He's like, you know, never mind. He goes, I'll do it myself. Fuck it, I'll do it myself. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Okay. Well, um, unless you do, you got anything else? Can we, yeah, let's, let's close it out. All right, let's take a short break. Folks, thanks for hanging in there with us on uh, 2012's uh, The Gray with Liam Neeson, directed by Joe Carnahan. Uh, pretty great film. We're going we're gonna to take a short break. When we get back, we're giving our rating and a short review to close out the podcast. See you in a moment.
right, listeners, thank you uh, for hanging in there. This has been uh, our eighth addition to the film series of the podcast, our 24th episode all, overall. Joe Carnahan's The Gray from 2012, starring Liam Neeson, um, an absolute, kind of an underrated, um, a very underrated and kind of overlooked film. I, I, 100% overlooked, um, definitely over, underrated and underappreciated in the world. Um, had pretty good critical reception. I'm going to give it some very positive critical reception. I did want to hit this note. I wanted to quote what Roger Ebert said about the film. Um, this, this is really telling about this film. Um, and Roger Ebert, um, it was, this was kind of one of the last, I think, I think this was his last year. I think he died shortly after this, uh, this came out was at some point in 2012 or 2013. So he didn't review too many films, um, after this, but this, this was, I thought this was uh, a pretty shocking revelation. He said, quote, it was the first time I walked out of a film because of the previous film, the way I was feeling in my gut, it just wouldn't be fair to the next film. There's, there's time for some conversation among the men in this film directed by Joe Carnahan and written by him and Ian McKenzie Jeffers treats them as individuals. They're not simply a group of victims. The great advances with pitiless logic. There are more wolves than men. The men have weapons. The wolves have patience. The weather is punishing. I sat regarding the screen with mounting dread. The movie had to have a happy ending, didn't it? If not happy, then at least a relief in some sense. Sit through the entire credits. There's one more shot still to come. Not that you wouldn't be content without it. And Errol, you nailed that, end quote, by the way. Um, you you exactly said that. You were just like, no, I'm good. And it's it's true that you don't actually need that, but it's a little extra. Um, but I, I was shocked to hear that. I mean, Roger Ebert um, has watched tens of thousands of films imagine that too like you're like the film was so good you go to the next you're watching it like, and you're i can't like, nah. even i can't you're even. like nah i can't watch this think about this <laughs> man think about this dude this this is the last year of his life he dies after this he has spent 50 plus years 60 plus years watching tens of thousands of films and doing it professionally and then having to write and talk about them. He said this is the first time in his last year of life that he had to walk out of the next film because the gray was stuck in his bones. Yeah, he's like, no, nah, he's like, this is disrespectful, man. I can't even pay attention right now because this thing, I can't shake it. I can't shake the gray. Like, good Lord. I mean, that 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 is telling about the film. Um that being said, I'm going to um, – and it was on Richard Roper's – it was number three on Richard Roper's top uh, 10 2012 uh, movies of the year. So, like – and he's he's he worked with Ebert at one point. It was Ebert and Roper at one point. Like, A.O. Scott had it in his te- best 10 of the uh, – in his top 10 of the year. Um, so, this movie got the critical reception it deserved. I just don't think it's remembered the way it should be, um, which is why we're doing a podcast on it. So, um Usually I let you kind of lead off with the uh, rating, but I think I'm going to kick it off myself on this one, Errol. Um, okay. I'm going to take I'm going to take the ball and run with it while I'm while I'm flowing here. Uh, this movie is a very special film for me. It came out um, in 2012. Uh, this is right around uh, this is a, this is a period of time in which I'm watching a lot of movies. And in, in 2012, I'm watching a lot of movies, and I'm not really getting shook up by movies as much though. I'm, I don't think it was that kind of year. Um, there were some movies that I was really like riveted by and fascinated by, but this, this thing had a different tone and, um, even my like, you know, 19 year old self or 20 year olds, I guess I was 19 at the time, you know, 19 being 19 is tough. Um, and you're not exactly an emotional person at 19 
I mean, you are, but like not usually repressing emotions as a 19 year old male, um, which I definitely was. This film, it cut through all that bullshit. It cut through it all. Um, I remember being like, holy shit, this is like shocked at how good this was. Truly shocked. Um, and uh, definitely rewatched it probably three or four times that year, especially when it came back. I think I saw it twice in the theater and then um, and then a, a couple more times maybe in the next when it finally like came out streaming or I think I owned the DVD as well. So um, definitely one of my favorite films of the 2010s. Uh, Absolutely. I don't know if it will quite make my, you know, top 10 list or even a top 20 list, but um, absolutely one of the better, one of probably the best pure action film, I I guess you could say. It's hard to categorize the film and I hate to stick it in a box that way. Um, That being said, it's certainly one of my favorite films of the 2010s, um, no doubt. And for that, I'm going to give it a, I'm going to give it the same rating I gave Wolf of Wall Street, two wolves, both getting 8.5. That's you, Errol. You're up next, brother. Again with the mute? You got me again. Yeah, no, I've just been sitting here. Uh, You've been doing it, too. You do it on purpose. <laughs> I know you do. Every time. <laughs> no, no, that one was on accident. But no, um, so this is, uh, I'd have to uh, disagree just slightly with you. This is something that I would put in my t- top 20, even maybe uh, top 10. Of the 2010s, really? No, of like what? Like all time. I really like all time, really? Yeah. Wow, okay. Yeah. What yeah, oh my god, yeah. Um I don't there's no, there's not a lot of other movies like it. Like or like in the there's not a lot of other movies that like just face the topic of death like like I mean stoically, I guess. Like there's <clears throat> a a lot of movies just kind of glance around like the topic, but like the first person to like die there, he's like, yo, this is what's going to happen. This is how you're going to die. And that sets the tone for like everyone, like to the point where they're just like asking like, Oh, is it going to, is it all going to be okay? He's like, probably not, but he's like, at least this is what we have to expect. Um, I like the realism of it. I don't think it was, uh, and I like the kind of like double play, how it might be like purgatory, but he's like, you still don't know. Um, I think it's a uh, borderline perfect film. Borderline perfect. What's your rating? Um, give this one a big old nine. Oh, okay. Give it a nine. If it wasn't shit, go for a ten. If you think it's perfect, I think I don't think it's perfect, but I would respect it ten out of ten. Well, I was, I was thinking nine point five, but I feel like I do a lot of like really high ratings and stuff. Um, no, rate it with your heart. Give it with give you stay true to yourself. Who cares? Just give it what you think you what do you give it? Like what do you think it is out of 10 if you had to rate it? Don't worry about previous ratings. What do you give it? Hmm. You know you know what I give it? Give it that. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I give it a 10. Yeah, you know you want to. I don't give yeah. a fuck, man. Listen, I'm not going to judge you because guess what? I, I I pulled that out of you because I know you give it a 10 out of 10. You can't be sitting here telling me it's like top 10 favorite films ever made and you're going to say. Yeah, but you can still nine. you can be good, but you don't need to be. But yeah, no, this is. No, I, no, um, you love it. I, if you love there, it, you love there's, it. There's, this yeah, was your no, pick I, too, by the way. This was the p- film you picked. Uh, you picked it this uh, for this month. This was your film. You wanted to talk so, about you, it. You know, my problem is I feel like I do a lot of high high ratings, but we talk about what we like. You know, I know. I like we gotta I, start talking I, about I some shitty like. ass movies at some point here. 
Yeah, we'll get something. But yeah, no, okay, yes. Uh, un, uh, un, now unwavering, yes. This is, I think it's a... Uh, it's you know what? No, no, because like I said, almost perfect. 9.5. 9.5. Okay, 5 all right, all right. Sure. I won't pressure you. I won't pressure yeah. you. Lo- lock it in. <laughs> lock it in 9.5 solid rating that's a good rating too and you know what it's fair and i i almost gave it a, a nine um and i actually got that wrong i i actually give uh i gave wolf of wall street a nine um and i i i don't think it's as good as wolf of wall street i i not because i to be honest with you i think i like i like the film more i don't the film is more my style I'll, I'll I'll say that this is more me because it's like yeah. this it's like this B movie that it's like an elevated B movie right it's like a movie that shouldn't work it should be like this you know it's a it's got a very unique location by the way uh, this is the second film we've ta- that we've done that takes place in like like the the cold in one of like the Arctic or the Antarctic because the thing is the same way and I freaking love movies that take place in the snow because it reminds me of home. Maybe I don't it's know. A whole okay, it's a whole another character. Yeah, it really is. It's the elements. Um, but uh, I will say, this is a a film that like I just love this style. It's kind of like uh, you know what it reminds me of is Signs, M Night Shyamalan Signs, because okay. Signs is like the same way. It's like it's like this B rate. It's what you would expect it to be like a B rated. Um, it's but it's elevated. It's like it's, it has the, all of the markings of what would be like a a, a B movie. But then the filmmaker does something unique that like is deep and makes you think, and you're like, "Oh shit!" Like this is this is more than just an action movie, and that's this is why I, if I were to compare it to Wolf of Wall Street, they're not anything like each other in other other than the wolf aspect. Um, they're two completely different things. Um, I think the Wolf of Wall Street is. Uh, just a more difficult film to make, and Scorsese does, I think, a lot more artistically. And by the way, I just. I think the only reason I dock this movie any points pretty pretty much at all is some of the line delivery is a little bit. Um, I have to I have to deduct some points for that. Even Liam Neeson at one at a couple of points um, delivers a couple lines, and I'm just like, eh, that probably could have used another take or two. Um, but uh, it's some cold of, out there, yeah, I know they they don't want to be, and they really did shoot on area. They shot in Alaska. I mean, or no. Not Alaska. Uh, I believe it was shot in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, somewhere up there. Dude, the the water scene then I feel so bad. Oh, it's rough. It's rough, man. Yeah, it's it's pretty. Rough. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's my kind of movie, and um, I, you know, as much as I love Wolf of Wall Street, uh, I I think I'd probably Wolf of Wall Street is very long, and it's 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 got a big important topic that is like kind of grandiose and a lot to a lot to digest whereas this movie you can just sit back you you don't even have it's kind of like the shining right like we talked about the shining the shining works as a film if you want to sit down and you're looking to like really pick apart a movie and kind of like unpeel the layers this movie's that way too or you could just sit back and just enjoy it as an action movie or in the case of the shining as just a horror movie ghost story like mm-hmm. you're more than welcome to just sit back and just like kind of digest it oh yeah so like options yeah yeah me too um they're they're both they're both great films um and uh the gray i mean the gray what a fucking awesome movie awesome fucking movie i hope i hope from one thing that this podcast does um i hope this i hope if people listen to this podcast that that haven't seen the film go i i really want this film to get a reevaluation cycle so like we're not a big enough podcast that that's gonna like we're gonna induce any kind of change in that but like 
if we can contribute in some way to like getting this film a little bit more of a, uh, you know, a recycling of attention in any amount, um, I'll, I'm happy to do that because I actually think this, this film deserved a lot more than it got. Yeah, I think that's a, that's fair. Yeah. So that being said, that is the podcast folks. Um, 8.5 out of 10 for me and a 9.5 for Errol um, for 2012's The Gray. Um, upcoming next on the Peripheral Views podcast, Errol, we are talking, we're going back into the music, uh, the music episode, the music series. Um, it's going to be our fourth installment on that one. Um, I, I will apologize to the listeners today. I do have a bit of a cold, so if my voice does sound a bit off in this podcast, that was why. A little sniffling, a little coughing going on. It's that time of year. Um but uh, hopefully that's cleared up by the next pod. We're going to do, we're doing a, another music episode. Now this one was my pick. Okay. Uh, we're going to do a, it, it's, it's actually an unofficial album. It's not really, it's more of a compilation album, but it is um, posthumously uh, distributed a blaze Foley album. It's called sitting by the road. Um, it is a compilation of a bunch of like kind of demo recordings from blaze Foley from back in the day. It's by uh, distributed by lost art records um really excited to talk about that errol have you gotten a chance to uh cycle through that yet uh no not yet having david a peep yeah you're gonna you're gonna enjoy over the next week as we get ready for that podcast you're gonna really enjoy it i think it's right up your alley it's an interesting um his 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 life story we'll talk a little bit about his life and uh what happened to blaze foley um back in the uh 1960s 70s um interesting interesting character um and a brilliant songwriter and you'll see that errol when you uh when you get to listen to the album and we'll talk a little bit about that in the next episode of the proof reviews podcast so um we'll probably be pumping that out sometime in the next week um um we once again appreciate all the listenership that we've acquired uh, especially in the last episode all that all that extra support has been uh greatly appreciated it's it's a it's an amazing thing to see that uh people are listening to the podcast and we're really really uh, grateful for all that. Um, Errol, I'm going to hit the housekeeping on the way out. Do you got anything you want to close out with, though? <clears throat> no, that's uh, that's right around it. Perfect. Okay. Well, uh, housekeeping on the way out, you know where to, you know where to find us, Peripheral View 123 on X or Twitter, soundcloud.com forward slash Peripheral Views 123. You can find us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Just throw us in the search bar. And if you do happen to listen to us on those platforms, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, if you'd like to reach us more directly, we are uh, we can be reached at the at the Gmail account, uh, peripheralviewspodcast at gmail.com. And all of our ratings and episode content is always uploaded to our um, our, our webpage that is peripheralviewspodcast.com. Everything's on our website that we've done so far. If you're looking to stream us there as well. Um, that being said, this has been the peripheral views podcast. Uh, the gray, we talked about the gray. It was a, it's a great film. If you haven't seen it, go out and see it. Um, and, uh, we really appreciate all the support and listenership we've acquired. So thank you guys again for listening and we will see you on the next round of the peripheral views podcast. Mm-hmm.